I'd like to introduce my colleague, Dale Buss. We're very lucky to have Dale in our team. He's a real business journalist who served his time at the Wall Street Journal. He was once nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. That's how good a writer he is. But I'd like to point out he didn't actually get the Pulitzer Prize, but he was at least nominated. So Dale's been writing case studies and stories about the business of nutrition and health, the new nutrition business for over 20 years. Is there anything else I've missed in that description of you, Dale? You're a, a father. You're a grandfather now. You're a very young grandfather, actually. You must have been 12 when you had your first children. <laughs> That's right. I just have very <laughs> fertile children, I guess. Uh, <laughs> trying to keep the birth rate up here in the United States. So yeah. and, and you write for, um, is it chief executive sometimes as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was with the, the Pulitzer was when I was with the Wall Street Journal in the 80s, um, the Pulitzer nomination. And so I cut my teeth in journalism at the Wall Street Journal, covering the auto industry, uh, mostly out of Detroit. And I still do a lot of that these days for publications like Forbes. Because uh, once you start covering that business, it's almost as fascinating as the food business. Uh, and it's kind of similar in that there, you know, you just, you've got everything there. You've got production, you've got technology, you've got uh, all the usual business stuff, management, leadership, et cetera. You've certainly got marketing. So I like being able to dabble well, more than dabble, but write about uh, both of those worlds. And so that's, that's a lot of what I do. Yeah, that's good. Especially sure. for you, going back more than 20 years. It is was, more than 20 years, yeah. I was disappointed that we were not able to include my photo in your staff pictures in the 20-year anniversary <laughs> edition. I'm Whose fault was that? Still nursing a grudge over that, but it probably was my fault. But, uh, <laughs> I think you did something. I think we actually have the... Yeah, I don't think we had that. Maybe the twenty fifth anniversary. Well, the twenty fifth anniversary is coming make sure. up, so maybe you should you yeah. should find a picture for us. Actually, I'll it's October. We're doing the twenty fifth anniversary issue. Already? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't time fly. Time. Yeah. Wow. What's really neat about to interrupt, but I mean, it just came to me that being able to to have a relationship with you and write for a new nutrition business all this time is that it's so cool to be able to talk to American, mostly American audiences, I do some other stuff for you, but, and tell them, you know, this is a publication that was basically ahead of everybody else in identifying the better for you revolution, in signifying it as being important, and then in chronicling it over 25, I mean, it's over 25 years ago that you yeah. said this is happening, and uh, it's taken a lot of twists and turns, but it's just really been a privilege for me to be able to say, oh, yeah, thank I you, mean, no, privilege to have I mean, you. To be able to say this publication and Julian was ahead of everybody else, and so. That's that, what I tell everyone, thank you for important, it's great. But it's yeah. true, you know? yeah. Great. So Dale, tell me, I gather you've been doing a lot of research into the exciting new world of cultured meat. I have, and it's it's fascinating the way this whole thing has developed so quickly, kind of on the heels of uh, you know Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger, and it's hard not to look at it as an extension of that kind of thinking about let's uh, deconstruct meat, you know, mm -hmm. and if you're Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger, you're saying let's deconstruct meat and reconstruct it out of a bunch of plant proteins and beet juice and a bunch of other things and we'll market as, as super healthy. And the cultured meat people are taking it one step further, breaking down the very notion of what is an animal substance to mm -hmm. its you know, molecular level and thinking mm -hmm. that they can reconstruct a tissue that they can pass off as meat. And the mm -hmm. consumers will say, hmm, give me a slice of that glob. And yeah. uh, it's a huge bet. You know? Yeah, so they're effectively 
looking to reproduce something which looks, tastes, smells, texture in your mouth just the same as a piece of beef from a cow, for example, or a piece of chicken. Right. That's their ultimate goal because, you know, as you know, and, and I do from having chronicled uh, this, the rise of better for you eating for more than 20 years, the ultimate taste and texture experience is what determines whether any product is, is going to succeed, right? I mean, I don't care how healthy it is, what, how yeah. ingredient packed it is, totally what kind true. of functional description it has. Yeah. So these folks realize the bet here is we've got to mimic actual meat as closely as possible, even nutritionally. So, so their bet is not dietary as much as it is uh, we're making for a more sustainable planet because we're removing you know, millions yeah. of cows that fart yeah. and so on. Or Which, of course, they don't. They don't fart, they burp. Whatever <laughs> they do. Everyone, the everyone talks about them farting, but they burp. It's interesting, right. isn't it? Because you're right. So that, um, my, my impression as someone who, you know, have looked a bit at this area, but nothing like as much depth as you, is this is sustainability is the primary selling point that they're aiming for. It's not nutritionally better. It's not going to taste better. It's yeah. about saving the planet as being the selling yeah. point. Absolutely. Which, which is kind of interesting because in order to save the planet, you've got, on the one hand, ruminants that take a material that we can't eat called grass, yeah. and they're perfectly designed to transform it into proteins that come with a whole bundle of nutrients. And we're looking to copy that using... What, huge fermentation tanks, factories, lots of electricity, lots of raw materials that have been dragged right. from all it, over the it, world. It'd be like a, a, to, for any of these facilities to scale up in a cultured meat facility, it would be like, uh, it would be like a mass of uh, microbrewery. They call them uh, bioreactors. So yeah. think of your local uh, modern pub with the, uh, the microbrewery right there in the room mm. and multiply that by, I don't know, hundreds or thousands potentially, and that's where this stuff has to be grown. Right. So Which, they're not they're not going to set up microbreweries, though, are they? I mean, this is not going to be like no. a chain of brew dogs with some tanks out the back. Yep. It's um, scale it. set up giant factories. So this is really, you know, it looks like replacing farming. You know, this, we all know that there's factory farming, which and most people, you know, would prefer not to get their meat from factory farms. But there are right. also family farms, and there's grass-fed and grass-fed animals. You know, it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. But they're looking to replace all of that with huge corporate factories essentially is that right yeah which are going to consume lots of energy uh lots of resources you know as i kind of look into this it reminds me of the argument for electric vehicles where you you get advocates of electric vehicles saying well this is a this is great for the environment uh we, we eliminate the the use of uh gasoline petrol we cut down on greenhouse gases you know almost entirely but what they they don't ignore, but what they would like you to forget about are the tremendous resource demands that all electric vehicles will place, you know, batteries, lithium, the wastes from them, and then the power plants that are going to be required, many of them in the United States and Europe, I think, coal-based, yeah. to yeah. churn out all this electricity that you're going to need to power up your car. So yeah, that's a really good point. You know, there is that parallel, I think, with what these folks are trying to accomplish. And, you know, then there's the the cast of characters, I mean, I'm here, I live in Michigan in the, in the middle of the Midwest, we call it flyover country. You know, we're suspicious, I guess, by nature of these uh, cultured meat people because A, you know, our society here in the inland was built around agriculture. Mm. Uh, and You're just like most still, Europeans, in other words, we're just suspicious of everybody. Well, there you go. 
And who's developing all this stuff? It's people from Silicon Valley. It's people who come at things yeah. digitally. You know, everything can be broken down. Everything can be broken down to its smallest component. So if you're Steve Jobs and you're designing a computer, okay, that makes sense, bits and bytes. If you're some of these uh, cultured meat entrepreneurs, like a guy named Jake uh, Tetrick, who started out with uh, oh, the uh, Gus, Gus Mayo. Yeah. 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 You're a Silicon Valley too, but your thing is, your thing is, let's break down, um, you know, let's break down biology into its, yeah. its uh, smallest components, and so then rebuild them. It's an amazing kind of reductionist, kind of like ten-year-old boy with a chemistry set for you, mm -hmm. isn't it? So food yeah. has all these cultural implications. It's tied to the environment, tied yeah. to community, but they're ignoring all of that and saying we're just going to sweep that away and reinvent it as something, right. you know, based on our industrial production. Well, and the other thing is that. Who's going to be the, the prime markets for this stuff? Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be expensive mm -hmm. for quite some time. It's not going to be anywhere near the cost of actual meat or poultry or seafood. Um, so the markets are going to be, uh, you know, high income people in Europe, Asia, yeah. North and America. The, West Coast of the United States. That's kind of an interesting point, I think, because a lot of the arguments that are given for replacing animal agriculture with a plant-based or or cultured meat are mm -hmm. that it's about feeding the world. But if yeah. you look at the, the UN statistics, the world's population is growing in Africa. You know, the, right. the population of Europe is falling. That of the United States is growing slightly and mostly due to immigration. There's right. some growth in Asia, but actually China's you know, peaked and is heading down. Yeah. And, um, and it's all in Africa. So are any of these people setting up production facilities in Africa? Is it, is it, do they really want to feed well, the world? They haven't said so, but you know, one thing that's interesting is that it's Israel is kind of a, uh, emerged oh, as a center yeah. for it's a bit of a alternative meat products. So they're yeah. calling it the Silicon Valley of alt meat. So you've got companies like Future Meat, which is one of the, the leaders in this cultured meat technology. Um, you've got a, then you've got a company called uh, Redefine Meat, which is actually working with plant-based meat substitutes and 3D printing them. So instead of the glob that you have of a Beyond Meat or an Impossible Burger, yeah. uh, they actually are designing what look to be cuts of steak out of loaves of plant-based proteins and stuff. And then they design yeah. little muscle-like structures and fat globules and all that into it. Of course, it's all still <laughs> plant-based. So all this technology, in order to break into a market which is defined by low price, you know, on the whole, an awful lot of people you know, hunt yeah. around for the least cost. It's defined by the producers, the farmers making little or sometimes no profit. The intermediaries don't make a great deal of profit on it. So it's like, mm -hmm. we're gonna throw all this technology at a, a market which is fairly mature, which is very driven by price competition. And our sole selling point is we're going to replace all of the existing products yeah. solely on the grounds of sustainability. And, you know, there's also, I've come to decide that there's an element of technological determinism in this, in the sense mm. that, you know, if you're trying to build beef or pork or chicken from the ground up, you can make this ecological argument. If you're trying, as some of the startups are doing, to reproduce seafood, uh, yeah. fish, yeah. Uh, you can make an ecological argument. You can say, oh, the seas are overfished and, you know, yeah. aquaculture farms are are having to move north because of global warming. And so you can, but the most spectacular example to me is there's a company called BioMilk, which is trying mm. to replicate breast milk in this way. Oh yeah. 
There's about two or three. People like Bill Gates investing in heavily in them. Yeah. Have you seen the hashtag Stop Bill Gates Titty Milk? No, but I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I'll yeah. have to look that one up. You talk about I Silicon mean, Valley investors. That's a perfect example, I think, of you know someone yeah. from the tech industry investing to re replace infant formula. I mean, I really don't understand the point of that. You know, I talked to the co-founder of Biomilk and she says, well, yeah, we recognize that there are eternal, there are relationship benefits from actual breastfeeding and there are all these immune uh, advantages from breast milk, blah, blah, blah. But basically we think maybe we can make breast milk more affordable for, for mothers somewhere. Wow. I mean, it just the argument for doing that to me is just so tenuous that yeah. So it's like, we've got the technology, we're going to roll it out, yeah, let's no matter see. what. Yeah. And as long as we can be funded for, you know, five, 10 years. Yeah. And isn't it, isn't it part of the fact that there's just a massive oversupply of money in the hands of Silicon Valley investors that just doesn't have a home? And yeah. they've latched on to this whole area as the next chance for them to make a billion, another billion dollars, yeah. I mean, among yeah. the other tens of billions they've got. Is, is, is well, and, a, and, and also, I think it, it eases their consciences. I mean, you, you can argue that well, the world doesn't need the next great iPhone or iPhone substitute or, you know, the, the notion that there's going to be any new developments in digital technology per se. And the benefits of those sometimes kind of seem distant. But if you can say, I, you know, now I'm investing in fake food that's going to save the planet. I mean, that yeah. gives you a real psychic. Virtue, you can be real virtue signaling prince. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm saving the planet while still flying to Davos with 250 of my closest friends in their individual <laughs> private jets. Right. Uh, yeah. It's only the ordinary people who need to change their habits, not me. Yeah. Not me, the billionaire. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. One of the things that interests me about this, you know, we talked about the technology, is they don't seem to have taken the consumer into account. They just seem to have made an assumption that if you tell everyone this is the best choice for sustainability, everyone yeah. is going to switch to it. And you, and you already see with the plant-based meat substitutes, right. it's already not quite working out how they planned. So we've been told that it's explosive and growth is massive. And actually, you know, it's a market in the US which was worth $800 million in 2018 and it became $900 million in mm -hmm. 2019. That sounds like a lot, yeah, but, no, but meat is, really. like, is 100 billion. And yeah. during the coronavirus crisis, I did enjoy in the early stages of the lockdown, all those people going onto LinkedIn um, saying, yes, people are going to turn to healthy foods. We're going to see a big surge in demand for plant-based. Mm -hmm. And plant-based meat substitutes grew 100 million, but meat grew 5 billion because yeah. people turn to the thing that they understand, they know, they trust, that tastes good, yep. it's familiar, it's part of your culture, you can incorporate it into your life. It's like they, they just don't seem to have any grasp on how people think about well, food or how it's made. I think they would, many of these uh, entrepreneurs would concede that, but I think they're in it for the long game. And what they're saying is, okay, as long as we can, you know, maybe they'll be happy with incremental or gradual growth, but, but, but when you can get a Beyond Burger or Impossible, I'm not sure which it is, at Burger King, you know, that, that, yeah, that gives yeah. you a certain cultural place on the shelf, right? And if you can yeah. hang in there, yeah. and wait for not millennials now, but Generation Z, which, you know, is the most obviously environmentally conscious generation and, and totally so, so some lacking in wisdom. So some yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they'll, oh, Impossible Burger, that's, you know, there's some validity there I can get it at Burger King. So I think if they can hang on, their, their reasoning is, mm, okay. you know, eventually they're going to, by dint of the maturation of this generation and their buying power, um, yeah. that they're going to have a shot. To a certain extent, 
the success of these cultured meats and of the, the plant-based burgers and other meat analogs is going to depend on the continuation of a kind of cognitive dissonance even by these college-educated elites. And that is, yes, if you eat one of these um, cultured meat burgers when they come on the market in the next couple of years, you might feel like you're saving the planet. At the same time, this goes against the conviction that so many in the millennial and the next generation have, which is they only want whole foods, they only want authentic foods, they yeah. want yeah. clean labels, they want few ingredients. Yeah. It's completely antithetical to what so it what, takes to put together yeah. a cultured meat chicken, you know, chicken yeah. wing. It's just and that's a really good point. It's completely antithetical to everything that consumers have been telling the food industry for the past twenty years. Yeah, few ingredients as natural as possible, and you know, lots of businesses have gone in that direction. And to their credit, you know, beef producers have dropped a lot of practices that people objected to in the past. So now you have grass-fed. Yeah, the animals are not getting anything else. Certainly here in Europe, like hormone-free. It's completely normal. Right. You know, the idea you would use hormones is, would just yeah. be shocking. You can't even All sell All that food. stripping away stuff that's not, quote-unquote, natural, authentic, yeah. and whole, and yet we're going to eat a burger that's a completely a construction in a laboratory. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think I do. I think it's a complete <laughs> leap in the dark by, as you say, people who are technological determinists. Uh, we, have, mm -hmm. we perceive a problem. We perceive a technological fix. Hey, we can make a billion dollars in between. Yeah. And consumers are going to find this difficult, but we just wait long enough and inevitably they will see our point of view. It's almost like a religious way of seeing the world, isn't mm -hmm. it? Or, or kind of field of dreams on speed. So Dale, thank you very much for that. It's been very enjoyable talking to you at four o'clock in the afternoon your time, 9 p.m. my time. I've been able to sip this delicious glass of Long Dock Malbec while we've been talking, been looking at me all this while. And, um, and uh, I hope you have a good week. Thanks for taking the time out to chat. Absolutely. It's still uh, five hours till wine time for me, but I'm looking forward to it. So, Excellent. yeah, look forward to doing it again. Mm -hmm.